Thank you so much. It's an honor to be able to come and uh, to share some time with you guys this morning. It's always interesting when I get a text or a call from Dave and he's asking me to come and preach because I, I sometimes never know what exactly it is that he's going to ask me to teach on. And I've had some very interesting topics that I've been asked to, to teach on over the last couple of years. The, one of the first times that he asked me come and, and speak here, he had me speak on the topic. It, there happened to be this passage of scripture that landed in the middle of a series he was doing that happened to be on circumcision, which is a great topic to come and, and share on. But I will say, ironically, I've used that message and two other churches, so thank you for that. That's one I've got in the, uh, in the, in the holster ready to go. Um, the next time I came in and, uh, and spoke in the midst of a series, it was a passage of scripture about fighting and quarreling within the church, which I thought was kind of fun to come and, and talk about. And then um, just recently, I, uh, my wife and I were asked to be a part of a, a marriage panel for a, a marriage weekend that you guys were doing. And, and I was like, awesome, great. It's going to be fun to talk about you know, how marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and, the, and his bride, the church. And no, no, no. Uh, he's like, hey, I want you to come and talk about grief and disappointment appointment in marriage. And I was like, all right, the, the fun stuff of marriage, right? The fun stuff. But today, it's, it could easily be the most controversial topic that I have preached on here at Trinity. And it is the topic of how to get along with your in-laws. So we're going to take a look at Jethro and Moses and their interaction and learn some things today about how to share life together. And I don't know what it is about in-laws. Well, let me preface this by saying I have a great relationship with my in-laws now. And... Um, and so, but there's some really cool, I don't know if it's because we're like, we want to impress the parents of whoever it is that we're marrying, right? Like, we have a hard enough time impressing our own parents because they know everything about us, but now we've got like parent 2.0, and we're trying to convince them, yes, I'm not going to ruin your wonderful daughter or son's life by marrying them. And so, but, but there is this, there's this kind of incubator period where you're trying to figure out, okay, is this, is this going to work? And, and they're trying to figure out, is this a good match? And so, um, with my, the very first time I ever met my wife's parents, I'm not from Syracuse, I'm from Maryland originally, and so I came up to meet them, and the very first time I met them, um, they decided, let's play, some, let's play a game together, we'll get to know each other, and I, I love games, I can be a little competitive, so I was like, okay, I gotta rein it in here a little bit, let's, let's t pace, pace with them. Um, and so they dust off this old box, and they're like, let's play some Trivial Pursuit. I'm like, okay, great. I've got so much worthless pop culture information in my head, really a chance to shine here in front of the family. And then I notice it's not just regular Trivial Pursuit. It is Bible <laughs> Trivial Pursuit. And so the vetting process <laughs> begins, right? They want to know that this, this future son-in-law knows what he's talking about. And, and I'm terrified. I, I'm like, I'm trying so hard to remember my Sunday school days as a little kid growing up and all the Bible stories and all the things I need to remember. And, and so we start rolling the dice and we start moving around. And, and some of the questions are pretty intense questions. Stuff like, how does transubstantiation correspond to the ecclesiastical movement of eschatological events? I'm like, thank God that wasn't my question. Like, good luck, Conrad. Here. Um, and then it gets to me. I roll my dice. I move my little pieces. I pull my card. And it says, who built a big boat and saved two of every? I'm like, thank you, Jesus, right? And it goes around again, and it goes around, and it comes back to me. And, and my wife, my, my, my um, 
she wasn't my wife at the time, my, my future wife, was getting frustrated because I kept getting all these super easy questions. It's my turn again. I pulled, who died for your sins and was the son of God? I'm like, yeah, I've never so clearly seen God's hand <laughs> bringing us together. And I've probably never prayed so hard during a game before, but but there is this, there's this unique relationship that we have with family and this re- sometimes unique relationship that we have with, uh, with our in-laws. And we get a kind of a really cool look at an interaction between Moses and Jethro, his, his father-in-law here. And, and maybe you've never had to have a Bible trivia interrogation by your in-laws before, but I'm wondering if you've ever had an experience where there was risk involved in the relationship. There was something maybe you needed to share with somebody that was going to be difficult. Maybe you weren't sure how they were going to take it. Maybe you weren't sure how they were going to respond to it. Maybe it's a piece of advice that w- would help you through a stressful situation or, or a painful season of your life. Maybe it was a story that you heard that helped put your life into perspective. Or maybe it was such a significant truth that it changed the very trajectory of your life and, and perhaps your eternity. Believe it or not, we get a little of all of this right in this interaction in the 18th chapter of Exodus. So whatever it is you've got your Bible on, if you want to turn to chapter 18, we're going to take a look this morning at this interaction between Jethro and Moses. And with my advanced Bible trivia knowledge intact and 20 years worth of marriage experience, Uh, We're going to take a look at what they have to say, and we're going to do a deep dive into this interaction because there's significance, not just from learning how to interact with with your in-laws, but also how it is that we are to live our lives, how it is that we are to proclaim the truth of the gospel, how it is that we are to fulfill God's purpose and his mission. And we're going to take a look at that. Let me, as you're turning to chapter 18, let me kind of remind you where we are at this point. So chapter 18 kind of falls in the very middle-ish of the story of the Exodus, of Moses and, and uh, the Israelite people. And so um, what's happening moving forward in chapter 19 through is when, um, when Moses goes up to the mountain of God, he gets the Ten Commandments, those sorts of, and God kind of really establishes his covenant relationship with Israel. And all the stuff that has brought us to this point is is God helping the Israelite people escape from captivity in Egypt and they're wandering in the, the, the desert or in the wilderness and all those sorts of things. And this is kind of the end of that before this big covenant relationship is, is established in some new ways. And what we see here is God's faithfulness to his chosen people over and over again, even in the midst of their grumbling and complaining. In fact, if you recall, there's even moments throughout their journey getting us here to chapter 18 where the Israelite people were like, let's go back to Egypt. Even though we were in slavery there, it was better than what we've got here. And yet it is still God who is is unveiling his plan and his purpose for his people. And so the next spiritual lesson that we come to here is this reunion of Moses and Jethro. And we learn, the first lesson that we're going to learn here is the relationship between love and truth. The relationship between love and truth. So let's go ahead and start reading in, in verse 1 of chapter 18. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons back to, uh, back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Let's pause there for just a moment. And so uh, the next couple verses, we find out that Jethro finds out that Moses is in the wilderness with all these people, and he decides to come and visit 
um, his son, and he brings his son-in-law. He come and he brings his uh, uh, Moses' wife and his his kids and and Moses' kids, his grandkids, with him. And kind of like classic grandparents, right? When you drop the kids off, they they find out you're back home, and it's time to bring the kids back home, right? And if they're if 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 Jethro was anything like my parents or my in-laws, they probably came back all hopped up on locust and honey, right? They just had had the fattened calf the night before, and so they were up really late, and they ruined their sleep schedule and all those things. But, um, but we see this, this kind of really cool interaction that takes place between Moses and his father-in-law. And, and maybe it's just me, but Moses greets his, his father-in-law very differently. Let's skip down to verse 7 and take a look. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and he kissed his feet. Maybe that's some good recommendation for how to greet your in-laws, but it depends on your relationship. That could be weird, too. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on the behalf of Israel. He also told about the hardships that they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard all about the good things that the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians." When Moses heard that Jethro was coming, there was one thing that was on his mind. He needed to share with Jethro the good news of what had happened to him and the Israelite people. Another way of putting it is he needed to share with him the gospel. Now, the gospel is not an Old Testament term. In fact, it's a Hebrew term that doesn't show up until the New Testament. But the the truth is still the same. The, The gospel is the good news. It's the good news of the salvation of God. And, and, and Moses desperately wanted to share with his father-in-law the good news. Moses knew that Jethro and his family had not yet come to faith in the one true God. Even in the opening of this chapter, Jethro is still referred to as the priest of Midian, which means he was a servant of a pagan god. He, he, he kind of led his family under a, a, a false god, under a pagan god. And his unbelief is even con- is confirmed in verse 11 when he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. But we'll take a look at that in just a moment. It's likely that in the decades that Moses spent with Jethro and his family that he had shared about his God before. But now, as as Moses has seen this amazing salvation, this amazing escape to freedom by by their God. He wants to share with him the gospel, the good news of what God had done. And most significantly for us today, we're going to learn about the relationship between love and truth. In his witness to Moses, in his witness to Joseph, to Jethro, Moses demonstrated the beauty of balancing both love and truth when testifying to God's salvation. Moses first shows his love to Jethro by honoring him and respecting him. In verse 7, it it, it told us that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed his feet. This would have been kind of a rare experience for someone as great as Moses in this day. Now, now Moses was a, he, he was a pretty significant guy at this point. He, was a, he would be considered a great man, a, a very influential, a big man. The, 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 the Bible tells us that the numbers of people that 
Moses was leading out of Egypt, it was well over a million people. It tells us that there were 600, over 600,000 just men um, that were counted, and then in addition to that are all the women and children and people. So this is not just some little rinky-dink uh, group of people he's got. This, Moses was kind of a big deal at this point, and usually when, great, when guests come to someone who is so influential, you wait in your tent, they come into you, they greet you, and those sorts of things. But Moses goes out of his way to meet his father law when he comes. He greets him and he meets him out there. He shows affection and honor and respect with, his, with the hospitality that he gives Jethro. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are called to love. We are united in love by the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his followers in John 13, 35, that we will be identified by our love for one another. Yet all too often, we don't share this same kind of love, especially with those outside of God's family. It doesn't take long to look through our social media feeds or to look in the culture that we're in today or even just listening to conversations amongst people that we realize that oftentimes our pride gets in the way of the love of those who don't know Jesus. And, and we have this desire to fix what's wrong with them. We have this desire to, to win an argument, to, to, be able to, debate, to, to be able to debate well why we're right and they're wrong. And usually more often than not, the, the truth that we're trying to communicate is not also embedded in love. The good news is not about being right. It's about inviting people into God's story, his plan of salvation. Equally sad is when we, often with our own families, sometimes we, are, we can be most harsh and miss this balance between love and truth. They're the ones that know us best, and, and vice versa. We know them best, so we expect more from them sometimes. We understand the complex nuances of their relationship with us, and, and a lot of times we give less grace, or we have shorter tempers with our family, or we use our words and our actions as weapons. And sometimes that can take years to repair the damage. When our hearts have been transformed by the gospel, it needs to change the way that we love. Well, I, I kind of heard this funny saying once that, that if your heart has been transformed by the gospel, even your dog should know that you're saved, right? I don't know what it is about our dogs. We take out our rawest emotions on our dog, right? But that's a, I'm preaching a word for Mickey over here. That, that even, even our dog should know that our heart has changed by the way that we love, God has called each of us to reach out to the lost, especially to your own families with the love of Christ. Care for your husband or your wife. Honor your parents. Serve your brothers and sisters. Show hospitality, strengthening your family ties. Respect for family members because, uh, because the love for them is essential for them reaching and hearing the good news of God's salvation. Those outside the family of God may not always know if we're telling them the truth, but what they do know is whether or not we love them. I mean, like, really love them. Sometimes what turns people away from Christ is not the gospel, but our failure to live by its love. Moses did more than just love Jethro. He also gave him the good news. Moses testifies to his faith in the God of Israel. 
He shared the good news of their salvation. The most important thing that we can understand from this interaction between Jethro and Moses and him sharing the salvation is how thoroughly God-centered it was. It would have been easy for someone like Moses who would performed so many amazing miracles, who heard from God in a burning bush, to make the whole story about himself and how God used him to rescue and save the people in Israel out of slavery in Egypt. But that's not what we read in this account. In fact, it goes out of its way to even say that he shared with them all of the troubles that they had along the way as well. You see, Moses was not the central figure of this redemption story. God was the one who rescued. It's the same people that, that, that complained to Moses in the wilderness and wanted to go back into slavery because it was familiar. There was, there, this was not a story of how the Israelite people found God. This is a story of how God reached down and rescued them. All Christians have a similar story to tell because our salvation is also based on what God has done throughout all of human history. The story starts with our bondage in sin, our wandering in the wilderness, trying desperately to save ourselves. But our Red Sea crossing is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We were trapped with no way to get across the divide of eternity to God, but Jesus made a way where there was no way by taking the punishment for us. The new covenant agreement that we have, this new established relationship that we have with God, they're about to get on, the, the, um, on, the, on God's mountain, was sealed for us and finished by the work of Jesus and his resurrection when he gave us victory over sin and death. This was only the beginning of our spiritual pilgrimage, however. Now that we're traveling through the wilderness, we need to learn the same lessons that the Israelite people learned as well. How to sing praise to God in the midst of difficult situations. Like Israel, we need to trust God for bread from heaven. We need to trust God for the water of life. Like Moses, we need to lift our hands up to God's throne, waging war against the enemies through prayer. And as a result of this amazing good news, Jethro couldn't help but to respond in worship. Let's take a look and see what his response looks like. Let's jump down to verse 10. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from, all the, from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of, proud, of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in this sacrificial meal in God's presence. As a result of the gospel, the good news that was shared with Jethro, his natural response is praise and worship. You see, the good news motivates our worship. One of the best news you can share with your in-laws is that they're about to be grandparents, right? In some ways, I feel like that's the reason why you have in-laws is so that they can then someday become grandparents. And 
And as Dave alluded to, uh, I'm a dad of all girls. In fact, I have five daughters. And I can remember when we first shared the good news with, um, with, with Mel's parents and with my parents of our first daughter, there was, this, there was this jubilant excitement and everybody was so happy. And the first grandkid on our, on our side of the family, and it was great. And then a couple years later, we had twins. And that's a whole different type of excitement because you're like nervous and excited at the same time, not to scare someone that's pregnant with twins in here. Today. Um, but, they were, but there was still this, this amazing joy, like, wow, this is going to be so exciting, so different for our family. And then we had our fourth daughter, and we shared the news, and it was a different sort. Now it's kind of like scared a little bit for us. And then the fifth baby comes and it's very different sort of reaction. Like they're happy for you, but they're also now very concerned for you. In fact, the, the great theologian Jim Gaffigan describes having five kids this way. Imagine you're in a vast ocean and you're drowning. And then someone gives you a baby. <laughs> that's kind of that's what it looks like. But but there is something so exciting and so joyful about being able to share the good news. It, it leads us to praise. It leads us to worship when the good news is shared. Let's take a look at the three parts of Jethro's salvation experience and what we can learn from how he was motivated to worship. First, the gospel ignites Jethro's faith. Jethro came to clarity and conviction that God was, the God of Israel was the one true God. As it said in verse 10, he calls God by his covenant name. He uses the name Yahweh, which would be the, the, the covenant name, the established name with, with his people as to who God is. He uses his true name as he identifies. He says, the God of Israel is greater than all the other gods. Now, as the priest of Midian, he'd be familiar with all the different pagan gods. And in fact, I'm not sure if you talked about this in your series, but all of the plagues that happened were related specifically to some pagan gods that the Egyptians and the people in that area worshipped. And, and that was to demonstrate that God was greater than all of those gods. So this would be something that, that Jethro would be very familiar with. And so in this statement, when he hears of what God has done, he recognizes that the God of Israel is greater than all the other gods. Jesus is superior in every way. He's superior in mercy. He grants forgiveness to sinners. He's superior in love and that he gave his life for our sins. He's superior in grace and that he offers eternal life as a free gift. He's superior in power because his resurrection triumphed over death. And he's superior in glory, reigning supreme over heaven and earth. No other God has ever attempted to demonstrate the amazing love and grace that God has shown in Jesus Christ. To have faith is to believe that he is the one and only Savior the one and only God of all grace and glory. And so the good news ignites Jethro's faith. Secondly, Jethro responds with joy. Verse 9 told us that Jethro was delighted to hear all the things that the Lord had done for Israel. This word delighted is a very rarely used word uh, in its specific context here. It's, it's the Hebrew word kadah, which re refers to this deep sense of joy all the way to the center of a person's soul. There's a great rejoicing in the knowledge that God has saved us and will love us forever and ever. God gives that same joy to everyone who comes to Christ. Thirdly, we notice Jethro's praise and worship. 
Verse 12 tells us that he made a sacrificial offering to the Lord, and all the elders came and joined him. He gave praise and worship and made sacrifice to the Lord. When Jethro responded to the gospel, he became a member of the worshiping community, the communion of saints. The salvation of Jethro shows how God is working his plan of salvation for the whole world. This may be the most important lesson that we can learn from Jethro's conversation. This chapter is much more about just saving one individual or, or saving one family. The Bible tells us this story because it reveals God's plan for the whole world. From the very beginning, God intended to save people from every nation. And this was part of his plan right here in Exodus. God said to Pharaoh that he was, when he was bringing his people out of Egypt that I might show you my power and that my name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Exodus 9.16. A priest from Midian may virtually be the first fulfillment of this promise as Moses proclaims salvation to Jethro. God has given us a message to proclaim as well. It is the message of salvation in Christ. Forgiveness through the cross and eternal life through an empty tomb. Each of us is called to do whatever we can to spread the word so that all the nations will come and worship. The good news motivates us to worship. For those of you who are in the room that already called Jesus Lord, I want to, I want to talk to you really quickly first. Can you or will you say with the same measure of faith that Jethro had that Jesus is greater than all the other gods? Maybe another way of thinking of this is, do you live your life that way? The best way that you can demonstrate that to be true is to live your life in such a way that Christ alone has the seat of honor, the throne of, of honor and lordship in your life. Maybe think about the way that you live your life. A good place would be to start would be to ask yourself this question. How is my balance of love and truth? If your balance is out of whack, this is how you can respond. If you're pretty good at the loving people, but not so much at the, the truth part of it, the good news is you're connected to a faith community here, a worshiping community here, where you can be invested in, where you can go to small groups on Wednesday night or throughout the week and, and learn more about God's truth, understand better the, the truth of the gospel, the message of the gospel, so that you can equally share in love this, this message of truth that so desperately needs to be heard. Maybe you're pretty good at the truth part, but not so much the love part. The good news is too for you is because of this community that you, this worshiping community that you're a part of, you can learn what it means to love one another. You can be a part of a small group and, and kind of exercise that gift of love because I totally believe it's something that can be developed within us, especially the more and more you understand the truth of the gospel. For those of you who haven't made a decision yet, for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, what can you learn from the good news of Exodus? Like the Israelites, over and over again, we try to rescue ourselves. Even if it looks like imprisoning ourselves again, going back to Egypt, every attempt that we make to rescue ourselves is a practice in re-enslaving ourselves. Only surrender to Christ is where real freedom can be found. 
You can only be truly free if someone else pays the price for your freedom. Paying your own price doesn't set you free, even if you had the right currency, which we don't. Because then it's your own doing, and that only restarts the cycle all over again. So my hope is this this morning, as you hear the truth of the gospel, as you hear the good news, the Holy Spirit would have an opportunity to ignite in your heart a response of faith and joy and praise and worship. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, for those this morning that recognize you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would balance in them this amazing love and truth, that they would live on mission, fulfilling your purpose, fulfilling your plan, that they would always be ready to give a reason for the hope that they have in Christ. Give them the, the very heartbeat of, your, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that they would love people in the same way. But help us understand that we can't truly love them without also sharing the truth with them as well. Father, there are some of us that need to seek forgiveness for the way that we have misloved one another. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would restore broken relationships, that we could start over again in the way that we love and care for one another, and that it would be the greatest testimony of your transforming grace in our hearts. For those this morning, Lord, that haven't yet recognized that you are the greatest God of all, I pray that your Holy Spirit would resonate with the truth that was shared this morning that they would recognize that all the other things that they have tried have missed the mark, that you alone, that you have reached into eternity, that you have pursued us. God, forgive our hearts for striving and trying to come after you, but help us to slow down enough for you to grab hold of us and let that motivate the way that we, we live our lives and how we respond in praise and worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.